You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast. All right, you can turn to Romans chapter 13. It is neat to see how God works even when you don't uh, schedule certain things or plan certain things. For us to end our time singing two songs that pertain to God's love um, is very fitting as we've spent not only the last two weeks really um, talking about the love of God and how we're called to uh, show that love to others. Um, that's really what we find ourselves today as well. Um, so two weeks ago, Adam taught on the letter to the church of Ephesus, and his summary sentence was, churches that maintain a meaningful presence in their community are diligent in their doctrinal purity and persistent in their love for God and each other. Last week, Tyson came off of that summary sentence and specifically focused on the love component and said, churches that are persistent in their love for God and each other are filled with people who have been humbled by the incarnation and committed to imitating Jesus. So as I was thinking through the passage that I wanted to teach on, um, I wanted to connect the love that we're called to display with the time that we're living in. So kind of loving in light of revelation or end times or loving between the times, which is where we find ourselves, right? So we are in between the times. We'll kind of dig into that a little bit more later. But um, my goal for us is to not only sing about the love that we've been shown, not only to enjoy the love that we've been shown, but also... Uh, show that love that we've been shown, which is what we're called to do, which is um, where we uh, find Paul's call towards us in chapter 12 before 13. So looking at Romans 13, 11 through 14, it starts off with besides this. And so in order for us to faithfully look at the rest of Romans 13, we have to understand besides what, right? So if we look back into Romans chapter 12, we see several different things that Paul is is calling us to. Romans chapter 12, verse 9 says, Let love be genuine. Verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Verse 17, repay no one evil for evil. 19, beloved, never avenge yourselves. 20, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Then he goes into 13, talks about submitting to our worldly authorities. Verse 8, he says in chapter 13, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Right after that, verse 9, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 10, Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. So Paul spends chapter 1 through 11 teaching us the truth, of what's of what God has done, and then says, here's how you should live in light of that truth that I've just shared with you. And he says, love, love. Like, don't just uh, enjoy the truth of what I've shared, but now reflect the truth of what I've shared by loving each other. Then he goes to besides this, or and this, or in light of the truth that I've just shared with you, and then the call to love you have a limited amount of time. There's a sense of urgency in time. So he says, besides this, 
you don't have a lot of time. There's urgency here. And so that's what we're going to go through this morning is looking at verses 11 through 14, understanding how does time play into my call to love others faithfully as I've been loved. Um, Our summary sentence for this morning is reflecting on the reality of where we are in God's redemptive plan serves both as an encouragement and motivation for believers to protect themselves from loving sin and the comforts of this world and loving others instead. Reflecting on the reality of where we are and God's redemptive plan serves both as an encouragement and motivation for believers to protect themselves from loving sin and the comforts of this world and loving others instead. For the kids, Christians should live like Jesus is coming back soon, because he is. Christians should live like Jesus is coming back soon, because he is. So there's this time component that Paul brings into the equation that really should serve as both an encouragement, but also as motivation. Love others. Don't love yourself. Don't love this world because you realize what time you're in, okay? Um, First point that we're going to look at this morning um, starts with verse 11. Um, It says, knowing the time we live in should serve as a wake-up call. So Paul says, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. So Looking at verse 11, Paul wants to emphasize our call to love one another by using the context of the time that we're in. So remember, chapter 12, love one another. Love fulfills the law. And he says, love one another because of the time that we're in. He says, besides this, you know the time. We've looked at this before, but 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5, verse 1, talks about the assumption that early believers and even the early church had an understanding of the time. There's this assumption, you know the time. And, and Paul reiterates that right here. He says, besides this, you know the time. 1 Thessalonians 5, 1, it says, Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. That doesn't mean that they know when Jesus is coming back. But what they need to know, they know. You don't need to have anything else written to you. You know the time. The problem with our understanding of the time, and I put up this fancy um, graphic here. I got real fancy with PowerPoint. Um, The problem and the danger for us is that whether we intentionally do this or not, we live as if Jesus isn't coming back. Like, everything's happening the way it's been happening, and nothing's going to change. Almost as if every day that, that happens adds another day to when Jesus is coming back. It's like Jesus is on this rolling deadline of sorts, and nothing's, nothing's changing. Everything just stays the same. And this is what the world would love for us to, to, to live in light of. You don't need to worry about anything. There's no urgency to live differently. In fact, get comfortable. Enjoy this world, right? 
love the comfort, surround yourself with, with all sorts of, uh, of, of treasures and, and all sorts of idols because nothing's going to change. You don't need to live any different because there's nothing coming. In fact, sometimes, especially as teenagers, we live like we'll never die, like we're immortal. And so we jump off of things or we stay out late or, you know, we drink a lot of surge. Um, if you guys remember what surge was, you know, we do things to our body like, you know, we're, nothing's going to change. Nothing's going to happen. And, and this is kind of the worldly inspired view that we have to be mindful of as believers, that, that we are, that there's no sense of urgency that would change the way we should live. Um, Second Peter refers to this mindset. If you turn to Second Peter, chapter three, uh, verses three and four. Second um, Peter chapter three says, "Knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires." They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Now, I think initially we look at that and we're like, wow, those guys are so stupid. Like, they think that everything's just going to keep going like it always has. But I think for us, the, the challenge here is, what do our lives communicate about the return of Christ? Because if we're not careful... We may look at those who say nothing's going to change, but we may live like nothing's going to change, right? We talked about that some in our discussion time this morning. Like, what's the biblical perspective on time? What's a worldly perspective on time? And then which one of those perspectives do we tend to lean towards on a daily basis more? So if we're not careful, we end up communicating certain things about the return of Christ in our lives, and, and really in how we love each other, right? That's the, the measure that, that we have that we've talked about in our C groups. You know, how are we loving those inside the church and outside the church? And so if we want to examine our measure of how we're living in the times, all we got to do is look at how we're choosing to love others, right? Because our sense of urgency should flow out of the call that we have to love others. And so the more urgent I feel, the more urgent I realize the time is, the more impactful my love should be towards others. The more generous, the more, the more giving, the more sensitive to others is what should, how I should be impacted as I consider this urgency. Um, I had in my notes here, we may not verbally communicate that we don't believe the Lord is returning soon, but that may be exactly what our lives are communicating. So I think, and we'll use some of this as application later, but a healthy look at our love towards others is something that we need to be doing uh, on a continual basis, almost like an assessment of ourselves. You know, we do that faithfully with our finances, right? We talk about, how our finances are doing, but we don't always take an account of how our love is. Sometimes we say, we connect our giving of those finances and say, that in and of itself is my love. 
that is uh, one way to love is to share those resources, but there are many other ways outside of financial giving that are demonstrations of our love that we need to take an account of. Ways that you can't just measure through a bank account, right? Um, so we say, uh, first point here, knowing the time we live in should serve as a wake-up call. The other thing I wanted to mention here is this um, sense of waking up right? He says, besides this, you know the time, the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. So there's this call to be active, like get going, do something. Stop being indifferent to those around you. Stop being lethargic. Wake up and get going and stop stop looking like you just got out of the bed. Like wake up, get your Take your pajamas and, and, and put your clothes on and get out there and, and do something. And so it's like, uh, you know, in light of the time, I can't just kind of go through, you know, with my hands in my pocket, you know, and just kind of, uh, you know, live, you know, go to work and just kind of, you know, whatever, you know, I don't really care. Just, I'm just doing what I do. But he's like, get up, wake up. It's like when you get ready for, for the, uh, in the morning, you know, you kind of have this idea of, of how long it should take for me to, to get going, you know, and sometimes that gets extended because maybe we feel like we can push it a little bit more. But then when it's time to get up, it's like, I got to get going. Like I got certain things that I do, you know, I, um, I always get up. First thing I do is I brush my teeth. Like I don't want to have that taste in my mouth anymore. So I'm brushing my teeth, you know, and and then I kind of I get going. I've got other things that I'm doing that I've kind of carved out throughout my morning. But Paul's saying, wake up in terms of not just each day getting out of bed, wake up, right? That'd be, you know, a great um, reminder for us. You know, we can kind of have that verse somewhere, uh, you know, as we get up out of bed, wake up, you know, stop sleeping, wake up. But in sense of life, right? He's called us to love one another, chapter 12, because that's the fulfillment of the law. And he says, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for us to wake up, to get going, to be active, to start doing, right? All right, so knowing the time we live in should serve as a wake-up call. Um, And then secondly, the completion of our salvation is fast approaching. Um, So it says, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believe. So here, Paul emphasizes our call to love one another by using the context of our coming salvation. He says, you know that the time is nearer to us now than when we first believed. So that's, that's one of the things that he says that we know. He says, you know the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. He says, you know that salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. It's like each day that goes by is one day closer. And if he's saying this to believers some 2,000 years ago, think about how much closer we are. Think about how much more, how passionate Paul would be today in this wake up. We're that much closer than Paul was urging these believers on. Think about how much more intense that call is for us today 
as we are that much closer. I have a kind of a biblical uh, perspective here. Got fancy with the PowerPoint again. Um, We don't know when Christ is coming. What we do know is that it's soon. What we might not be doing is living as if it's soon and living as if we don't know. But those are the two things that we do know. We know that we don't know, and we know that it's soon. But I can't say that we're all faithfully living in light of those two truths that we know. And so, for all we know, we're somewhere in that in-between state there of time. But we know that it's soon, and we know that we don't know exactly when it's going to be. So, instead of just thinking, there's an endless amount of time, and instead of us being those, those scoffers that say, everything's just going on like it has, no reason to, 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 to wake up, no reason to be active, right? This is home, this is cozy. We've got to remember and remind ourselves, really, of the reality of the time that we're living in. You don't have to turn there, but Matthew 24, 36 through 44 is a passage that talks about not knowing the coming of the Lord. Um, but at one point, we, we're, we are given a warning um, by Jesus that it basically says, stay awake because you don't know. Stay awake because you don't know. Not fall asleep and get comfortable because you don't know. Not take it easy because you don't know. Stay awake. He talks about how if the man who knew that the, the thief was going to break into his house, was going to be that the thief was going to break into it, he'd stay awake, right? He wouldn't fall asleep because he knew that the thief was coming. He says, you're the man. You're the owner. Stay awake because you know that the Lord, his coming is like a thief in the night. So he says, stay awake. Um, I wanted to put up uh, another slide here. This is really a, a parent's perspective of morning routine, okay? Um, so we have the parent's perspective and the kid's perspective. So we're all sleeping, and then the alarm goes off, and then you know eventually we get out of bed. Well, the parents know what time we have to leave, so they're working towards that end. Right, we've got to be here at this time, so we've got to leave at this time. So they understand we've got to leave by this. The kids live, or they wake up, and they spend their morning routine as if you're never leaving. Right? We've got all day to do what we want because we don't know when we're leaving. They might not even realize that you said they're leaving. They're just spending their morning time doing what they want, doing what pleases them, instead of realizing that there's a time coming when it's time to go. Like, that's the reality. And that's the reality the parents work off of, right? It's like, I'm trying to work and get myself ready because I know what time, how long it takes me to do this. Meanwhile, I'm having to continue to remind you, which is what Paul's doing, right? I'm, I'm having to remind you, don't, leave your brother alone. Stop, get your shoes on. Hey, go brush your teeth, brush your hair, fix your bed. Because 
to them, it's like, we've got all day long to get ready to do whatever mommy and daddy are wanting to do. And so they live with that mindset. And so it's a good comparison for us because whether we, again, communicate it verbally or not, I think what our lives would display is that we are guilty of living with that type of mindset. I don't know when he's coming, so I will live as if he's not. I will live as if it's not urgent. When the reality is there is coming a time, and God is preparing the time for his coming, whether we choose to remind ourselves of it or not. And that's our responsibility because Paul says, you know the time. You know the time. So I feel like this is a good perspective for us here, a good challenge for us. Um, and something that I feel like kind of the, the challenge that comes out of this is that this truth is both an encouragement in times of faithful fighting, but also a warning in times of willful disobedience. This truth is an encouragement when you're battling, when you're fighting, when you're pursuing obedience. And you're in the thick of that fight. You're in the thick of that battle. It is an encouragement. It's an encouragement that, uh, that salvation is nearer to us now than it's ever been. But it's also a warning, right? That's the, the flip side of this, is that when we're, when we're in seasons of willful disobedience, it serves as a warning to us that I don't have much time left here. I don't have much time left here, one, to be used by God for his purposes in that time frame that he's working towards. But two, there's coming a time where, in a a wider sense, I'll have to, to answer to these things that I'm choosing, right? And so it serves as a healthy warning for us but it's also a huge encouragement for us as we realize that, you know, in those times when we are fighting and we are struggling and we, we are pursuing Christ, that I won't have to endure this for forever. That this battle within, this struggle, this fighting won't last forever. In fact, it will be over soon. Um, for for those of us who are maybe even experiencing physical ailments, which I feel like as I, you know, I'm still young, um, don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, um, but I'm I'm also old to some folks, right? Well, now I'm getting to the point to where like this shoulder is doing some funny stuff and, you know, in the morning my foot does this weird pop thing and my knees, they pop, you know, when I move and, um, you know, it's just different things that your body starts to experience over time uh yeah and then you know i was meeting with some guys from work who are who are still young but not as young as i am um and they're talking about how you know each year now they have to schedule a surgery you know it's like okay next year will be a surgery for this and then the next year will be a surgery when you get to that point to where things you know it's just part of the the fall here is that we're we're working through these in these bodies that you know are are broken and so they start to reveal their brokenness from a physical perspective over time so i think even experience those physical ailments too is 
there's this um, aspect where what an encouragement it is that I don't have to deal with this much longer, that this won't be happening to me for forever, and that there's relief on its way. Next, uh, God's final chapter in redemption is dawning. Okay, God's final chapter in redemption is dawning. He says, the night is far gone, the day is at hand. So now Paul wants to emphasize our call to love one another by using the context of world history. Okay, so he uses the context of our salvation. You're nearer to salvation now than you've ever been. Now he's using the context of just world history. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. Um, this, the, it's neat how Paul uses different parallels through this uh, passage. But he's talking about night. You know, it's this uh, reference to just this, this time of sin and death and pain and ugliness and brokenness. And it's interesting because he says that time is far gone. And then he talks about how the day, how, how um, Christ's return, how the uh, freedom from that death, from that pain, from that sin, from that brokenness is coming. And that's really where we find ourselves. It's kind of in between. I get kind of the same um, idea here. Well, think about the sunrise. You know, it's like that, that dawning. You know, it's like it's not dark anymore. It's not nighttime, but it's not quite day. You know, it's not like noon, but it's right in the middle. If you kind of think about this is the time that we live in. And this, to me, is a great picture that really helps feed that sense of urgency, right? When I realize that it's not night anymore. I'm not in this endless midnight where... Things just keep going like they always have. But the reality is, is that very soon the day will be here. And so this picture, um, I took this from work on one of the, on one of the like top floors. Um, sometimes I'll kind of go there in the morning and try to see if I can catch the sunrise. Um, but to me, it kind of captures that in between the night and in between the day. Um, if we go back to that timeline that we were looking at earlier, I mean, this is really where, where we find ourselves, is in between the time of Christ coming, right, his fulfillment, and then the completion, Christ's final return back. And it, I think what we need to realize is that, folks, we're only waiting on one more event. There's not like another sequence of long events. Like, we're not waiting on the first coming, we're waiting on the, the last, the final coming. Like, that's it. That's what's on our doorstep is that last final coming. So there's not another series of events. We, the night is far gone and the day is at hand. But I think sometimes we don't realize where we are in this, where we are in the grand scheme of God's redemptive plan and that the things that... The, the historical markers of that redemptive plan. And the reality is, is that we're only waiting on one more of those. The final one. The end, which is really the beginning. 
But that's it. That's all that we're waiting on. Um, I had in my notes, I said, we must protect ourselves. No, I'm sorry. Um, I said, whether we realize it or not, there's a battle being waged in our hearts for us to extinguish that sense of urgency. There's a battle going on in our hearts to extinguish that sense of urgency, right? Don't live like time's limited. Don't live like you're like something's coming, right? Instead, get comfortable. Instead, you know, pursue worldly pursuits, right? We talked about this in, in our guys' um, discipleship group, about how even among believers, we can't just assume that if we find the norm in here, that that's where we should be, right? We can't just assume that if we said, all right, I'll kind of look around at the lives of those in here and say, that's how I, how my life should look. Because if we're not careful, then all of us start to get inspired or influenced by this cultural perspective. And then before we know it, we're way far off track together as a body. We're, we're no longer close to having this sense of urgency. I think that's the call that really Tyson was making last week as we reflect on, the, uh, on Christ and his humiliation and imitate him. Is that if we're not all going back to the source of the life that we're called, that urgency that we're called, if we're not all faithful to go back to that and we're just simply looking out and saying, okay, I know this says this, I know this truth says this, but what are they doing? Now we are all in danger of not uh, having our, our, our lives renewed and not having our lives transformed from the truth, from God's word, but now we're kind of drift, drifting off into our own idea, our own um, perspective of what that looks like. And so that's something that we were talking about in our God's discipleship group. And just, you know, being mindful of is that God will call each of us uniquely in ways to love others. And so what we shouldn't do is just find, you know, what's the, uh, what's the normal way that everybody's doing it? And God must be calling me to that too, right? So we would all say that the normal way of loving is to tithe. So it's like, okay, well, that's all I got to do, right? It's all I need to do is just tithe because that's what everybody else is doing. No, God will uniquely call each of us as we uh, realize that urgency to love in different, purposeful, meaningful, impactful ways. Um, so God's final chapter in redemption is dawning. The next thing is, oh, I'm sorry. The challenge for us is that we should actively be reminding ourselves of what time it truly is. So I taught a couple of months ago, maybe several months ago, I don't remember, but, um, it was on active remembrance. We talked about how these Old Testament people, had experienced God in extraordinary ways. And because they didn't choose to actively remind themselves of his faithfulness in the past, 
they chose in different situations, they chose selfishness or they, they chose disobedience or they chose to rely on their own strength. And I think this, the same here in the sense of urgency and the reality of the time is true for us. We need to actively be reminding ourselves of what time it truly is, of the reality of that time. You know, it's not a, like a welcome to history class, and we're going to talk about what time it is, and then once you pass the test, you're done, and don't ever have to think about it again. No, this is like an active reminding, and for for the rest of your life, active reminding, right? Not even now at this point, not even if we refer back to Revelation, not even if we we say, hey, remember when... This is that ongoing reminding of what time we're truly in to really grasp that, that sense of urgency. All right, next, living in the light, the Christian life requires a continual swapping of spiritual clothes. Okay, you didn't think we were going to talk about clothes today, did you? Um, Paul says, So then let us cast off the works of darkness, put on the armor of light. So he begins with, so then. So now he's referring back to the, the time. He says, so then, in light of this time, um, he says, knowing the time, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. So as he does in, in many um, passages, Paul starts to use this um, example of a soldier, right, with armor, so I want you to put yourself in the position of a soldier the night before this big battle, and he's probably somebody that's going to be on the front lines. So what do you think he's expecting? Death. Okay, so it's the night before, and he probably went to bed early, right? Because he was like, man, this gonna, tomorrow's going to be tough. Um, I better get my rest, you know? No, like... If these, from a soldier's perspective, if you know you're going to experience certain death, you're going to live it up, right? I mean, you're like, I'm going to just enjoy myself. You know, I'm going to go out, hang out with the guys and, and get into who knows what, because I know that tonight is probably the last night I'll have to live. And so you think about all the things, all the sinful desires that he would try to satisfy they stay up real late, and then that next morning, you know, he's just kind of still wrecked from the night before. And the commanding officer comes in and he says, Wake up! Prepare yourself! Get ready! We're, we're going to battle! Prepare yourself! So he's probably laying there, you know, in his regular clothes, not prepared for battle. And his officer comes in and he says, Wake up! Similar to how we've heard Paul say, wake up. And then he says, prepare yourself, right? Put on your armor. We are going to battle. Prepare yourself for battle. That's what Paul is saying here. So then let us cast off or get rid of or, or repent from. He says, let us cast off the works of darkness Put on the armor of light or, or clothe yourself in. He says, prepare yourself for 
battle. And I love the fact that Paul reminds us that the Christian life is a battle. It is not a walk in the park. It's not a cakewalk. It's not something you go through in your pajamas, right? It's not something you go through and just, you know, your um, your your shorts and your your tank top t-shirt and your flip-flops, right? That's not a, a worldly view of how to be prepared in living the Christian life, but it's a battle. Um, another passage that talks about this armor, of, uh, many of you know Ephesians 6, 10 through 11, uh, or 10 through 13 actually, talks about the armor of God, uh, taking up the armor of God. Ephesians 6 says, put on the whole armor of God. And then later on in 13, it says, take up the whole armor of God. So there's, there's this armor that we're called to put on, right, in order to, to live faithfully as believers, in order to battle, in order to fight. So Paul says, wake up, but then he says, prepare yourself. So the challenge for us is not just to cast off, but to also put on, right? This isn't just a stop doing, but it's a start doing. It's a put on. I have in my notes, um, we're, we're called to be active in replacing our old self with its sinful desires with our new self, increasing our likeness to that of Christ. Not just to cast off, but to also put on. All right, so the Christian life requires a continual swapping of clothes. But then next, the Christian life is to be lived in the light, not in the dark. He says, let us walk properly as in the daytime. And then he talks about a couple different things not to be in, which is an assumption that those things are in the nighttime, because he's saying walk properly as in the daytime, not in these activities which consist in that nighttime, which is also a parallel to the night is far gone, the day is come. So it's not just a reference to world history, it's a reference to what's happening in us, right? To, to put away those things that are associated with nighttime and to walk in the daytime, that putting off, that casting off, and that putting on. Um. There are a couple of examples that I was thinking through for this, and one of them that I think uh, we can all, um, well, a couple of them. So if you've ever been a student in a classroom, and, um, you know, for some reason the teacher walks out of the room, you're just, you know something's about to happen, right? Maybe you're the instigator, um, but you know something is about to go down. Somebody's about to throw something, say something, um, go do something they're not supposed to do. When the teacher leaves the room, it's like, okay, it's on. Like, let's see who does something now. But as soon as that doorknob turns, it's like a room full of angels, right? It's like, you know, all of a sudden, nobody's doing anything. Everything's good. You know, no reason to think we were doing anything. You know, everybody's back in their seat. The same thing happens for us when we're driving, right? Going down the interstate, Got the tunes blaring and not even looking at the speedometer, you know, and just kind of, uh, you know, enjoying the road, probably singing um, some Taylor Swift or something. 
And then all of a sudden we see it set black and white on the horizon. And it's like, okay, all of a sudden we're back down to 55 and, you know, we're, we're, we're singing hymns and may, you know, we'll probably get over in the other lane. So we're not in the fast lane. And, you know, we kind of pass by like nothing to see here. You know, it's like all of a sudden we're like, we're doing what we're supposed to do, right? We're behaving like we're supposed to do because there's this uh, this this uh, threat to us, whether it's that teacher or whether it's that policeman, you know, we're living with that daytime mentality of this is how I'm supposed to behave. This is what I'm supposed to do. And Paul is saying, always be in the daytime. Every day live in the daytime. He says, let us walk properly as in the daytime not like we're in the nighttime. He, um, uh, let's see, another passage that speaks to this same um, nighttime, daytime, is 1 Thessalonians 5, 7 through 8. 1 Thessalonians 5, 7 through 8. It says, For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since... We belong to the day. Let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. He doesn't say live as in the day. He says since we belong to the day. Since we belong to the day, live with that daytime mentality. Um, The challenge for us, Believers are called to the battle of pursuing an everyday daytime mentality. An everyday daytime mentality, right? Isn't that what the passage in in Matthew was referring to? It says, stay awake for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Stay awake like in the daytime. You belong to the day. Stay awake. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. Stay awake. You belong to the day. All right, next. Our greatest protection is provided in and through Christ. He says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is really the, the culmination of, of you know, all the truth that has been shared with us in chapters 1 through 11, and now the application of that truth starting in chapter 12 all the way to 16 is, is all really comes together and put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Like, be like Him. All of it. It's, this is the pinnacle of what we're called to pursue in light of all the truth that's been shared with us in chapters 1 through 11. I think it's important um, here to um, to realize, you know, again, we are in that in-between time spiritually in our pursuit. And we refer to that as sanctification, right? At when we first come to Christ, we've been uh, justified or we've been declared righteous through Christ, but we haven't fully experienced salvation in, in every degree. So we, we, have, we weren't given our, our uh, sinless bodies at, at, um, when we were justified. So we're in that in-between state of being justified and waiting for that time when we will fully experience 
salvation in the fullest sense. So we are in between that time. And we refer to that time as sanctification. It's that process of, of growing in Christ's likeness throughout our life. In the different passages that talk about um, you know, becoming like Christ from one glory to another. There's uh, Colossians 3, 7 through 10. talks about seeing that you have put off the old self and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, We are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So we're in our own in-between time. We're living in an in-between time, but we are spiritually in our in-between time. John MacArthur talks about uh, the Christian life, and he sums it up. He says, the Christian life is is about becoming what you are. It's about becoming what you are. And that, that you're justified, you're declared righteous, now become it. Grow, but, um, increase in what you are. He says, um, he says, becoming in practice what you are in position. In position, we have been declared righteous because of the work of Christ and now we're pursuing that. What does that look like in practice and living that out? Um, so we're putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. So we put on, we talked earlier, that's, that's to clothe, to clothe ourselves in. I have here, um, uh, this is the same command we see in Colossians 2, 6 through 7. As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. As you have received him, walk in him. Or, or walk is like live, live out Christ as you've received him. As you're, you're called to grow in his likeness. So the challenge for us is that we must actively prepare ourselves for battle by pursuing Christ. We must actually... We must, um, Actively prepare ourselves for battle by pursuing Christ, right? That commander came in and he said, not just wake up. He doesn't want a bunch of soldiers that just woke up out of bed to come out there to fight. He says, wake up and prepare yourself. This is how we prepare ourselves for battle. is by putting on Christ, by clothing ourselves in his likeness. What are his passions and pursuits that we see, that we learn from, that we're called to pursue? And Paul shared with us in chapter 12, it's to love others, which is the fulfillment of the law. Um, so we must actively prepare ourselves uh, for battle by pursuing Christ. And then finally, our greatest threat is our own proactive pursuit of sin he says make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires so we're called to actively put on christ but we're also called to actively fight against the flesh provision here is like forethought um or like uh planning ahead like choosing to so This isn't a reference to like never experience temptation. What this is, is this is a willful choosing to be tempted and then not just be tempted, but then pursue sin after being tempted. 
So provision here is like a willful choosing of sin. We're making room for the flesh. We're, we're kind of uh, making accommodations for the flesh. He says, make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Uh, I put in my notes here, most often we become our own worst enemies when we allow either lies or temptation to linger in our minds and eventually submit ourselves to those lies or temptations. So we, sometimes we, we conjure up lies in our flesh and then we submit ourselves to those lies. And then sometimes we're tempted and, and we're even guilty of creating the temptation and then we submit ourselves to that temptation. More times than not, we become our own worst enemies in those situations because one, we're not reminding ourselves of the truth and we're actually actively creating lies. And two, we're not, we're not providing protection for ourselves by putting on Christ to fight off the temptation and we're willfully moving towards it and making room for it. Um, James chapter 1 verses 14 through 15 talks about what's happening in our minds. He says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And when sin and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So the longer we allow that sin or temptation to, to be thought of and to be contemplated, the more provision, the more uh, increased likelihood that we will start to submit ourselves to those and to pursue those things. The challenge for us is that believers need to be on the lookout for their own deceitful desires. So we're actively putting on Christ for protection and at the same time, we're on the lookout, like that soldier. We're on the lookout for our own deceitful desires. We're fighting off any lies because we're putting on Christ. And then we're fighting off ourselves because we're putting on Christ. Finally, for application here, I've got a couple of questions for us to think through, um, kind of pertaining back to our discussion earlier this morning. The first one is just self-examine the your love towards others, right? Take that as the that assessment of yourself. Like how am I loving others? What am I doing to love others? And then the second question is what does my love communicate about my understanding of Christ's coming? The love that I demonstrate what does it communicate about what I know about Christ coming? And then the second one is the love. What does my love communicate about my willingness to wake up, to throw off, and to put on, right? To wake up, to realize the time, to throw off those, those things that are not, that, that are not done in that, with that daytime mentality, and then put on. To pursue Christ. What does my love communicate about those things? Because it's tied together. Which is what we looked at today. It's tied together. Um, for our family uh, worship questions. 
What are some ways our family can protect itself from becoming spiritually sleepy? So we talked about that call to wake up and how if we're not careful, we, we become lethargic or indifferent because we begin to think about time from a cultural perspective. So what are some things that we're putting in place as a family to protect ourselves from becoming spiritual, spiritually sleepy? And then what are some ways we can put on the Lord for protection? What are some things that we can be doing that are tied to us protecting ourselves from, from lies or from deceitful desires? What are some things we are doing or can begin to do to protect ourselves as a family? All right? I'm going to pray for us. Okay? Lord, we are so thankful for your word. Uh, thankful this morning that um, you are, well, you're coming soon. And that is a truth that we can lean on in a way that changes our lives. That truth that the night is far gone and the day is at hand. What a refreshing, encouraging truth. Lord, I pray for us this morning as we walk out to not just uh, be joyful about that truth and not just be happy about that truth, but for that truth to change how we live, for it to change how we love. Lord, we thank you for um, not just leaving us, calling us to these things and then setting us aside, but how you have called us to put on Christ, that you very much want to be uh, a very deep part of this pursuit. And in so many ways, you are working that we don't fully understand. And we thank you that the work that you've started, that you will complete. That in the midst of this battle that you've called us to, the midst of, in the midst of the battle that whether we choose to realize it or not, we're in, that you are faithful, that you are with us, that you give us the strength, that you give us the, the desire, that you give us the truth to cling to. God, thank you for that faithfulness this morning. Thank you for that faithfulness throughout this week. May this week, the way that we love others be different because we are longing for and awaiting your coming. Lord, we love you and we trust you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.